up, guys? You guys doing well today? Good. Looks like my keynote needs to run through an update. That's all right. We got a second to chat. <laughs> I forgot to check that, Debbie. So I want to give you guys a little affirmation this morning just to ease your mind. I can assure you, I know we're in church. I know it's Sunday morning. I will not be making any jokes about St. Peter today. I will, I will not be making any jokes about how you always have to be ready to meet St. Peter. I won't be doing that. That would be wrong, wrong, wrong. Hey, oh, let's send our kids upstairs. Not on? It's on. You don't got a signal? So, um, check, 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 check. We're going to be reading out of the book of Ephesians today, chapters uh, 5, verses 8 through 14. If you uh, would go ahead and pull that scripture up for me, Debbie. When, when I get this update ran, I'll take over. In the meantime, I'm going to have to get you to scroll for me. All right. You want to read with me today? Let's do it. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. God, we give you praise and thanks for allowing us yet again to open up your word, to listen, and to see it. And we thank you that is very much alive and active today and relevant as it was in the, the days that it was written. Give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. And above all things, just help me to stay out of your way. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. All right, so we are in this uh, teaching series leading us up to the big day, Easter Sunday, called Vice. And um, we're using the seven deadly sins to kind of, as a roadmap leading up to Resurrection Sunday, not so much as to clobber us in the heads with uh, the sin in our life, but really it's just to help open our eyes to the truth that is we all share the commonality that is we are born into sin. We all struggle with things. We all struggle with stuff. But we all share the hope that's in Jesus Christ our Savior. So that's that's what the uh, the, the intent of the teaching is. And when I when I first found out that Rachel was going to ask me to, to do one of these, in my mind I'm thinking, i got to confess to you, Please don't let me, please, please don't give me gluttony. <laughs> Any, anything but gluttony. I mean, I confess weekly here on Wednesday nights the struggles that I have with eating. And I know, I guess I feel inadequate to teach on, on something that I personally haven't been able to conquer in my life. Well, as it turns out, I wasn't assigned gluttony. But I got to tell you, God does have a sense of humor. Always. Because this morning we are going to tackle the vice known as sloth. 
So no napping during the sloth sermon. All right, I think we're going here now. So I'm pretty sure that none of you have the word sloth in your day-to-day vocabulary. I don't think anybody has probably used that in a while, if ever, in a sentence. And when you think of the words, I mean, you've never said something like, man, I sure am feeling slothy today. <laughs> that just doesn't sound right, does it? And, and when you think of, uh, of the word sloth, you probably conjure up images like this guy. Did y'all see where the kid on the zip line ran into a sloth? Who, who saw the YouTube video? That was, that was hilarious. He said, I clocked him right in the head. <laughs> That's what the kid said. Or maybe you think of this guy. Everybody loves Sid, the sloth, right? The truth is, the sloth was named after this condition that we're going to talk about today because of their behavior. They sleep anywhere from 15 to 20 hours a day. They are the the, the slowest moving mammal on the planet. They can only move on the ground at a rate of 0.14 miles per hour. And they move this slow because their metabolism is low and they expend very little energy. Now, unfortunately, this is true about many of us, right? So I thought it'd be fun to go out on the Google and, and pull up, see if I can pull up some pictures of those of us who might be acting a little slothy. <laughs> he's, pl- he's playing his Wii. Can you tell he's got the controller? <laughs> or this one. Now, to, to give her credit, she is straddling the treadmill, she, so she is actually moving her feet. Maybe she's doing some kind of rehab, I don't know. i got to confess, I'm guilty of this one. <laughs> That's a little dated, because you can tell by the TV, but, you know, if you've ever taken your iPad and flipped it sideways because you're laying in bed, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Why bother? It's going to burn down anyway, right? I mean, why put the chair together when you can just sit on the box? I don't know how to change the clock, so I'm just going to put a sign up. Or this one was probably taken somewhere where they have escalators outside. They don't have those here in Kentucky. But, you know, you don't want to wear yourself out on the way to the gym by taking the stairs, right? Here's a classic. <laughs> now, I see a pattern in this guy's life, because you can look at his yard and tell that he just doesn't have a whole lot of energy. But at least, at least he's thinking about his little girl. This, this guy wins the award for ingenuity. <laughs> right? That might be Bonnie, I think there's a hoodie in Jimmy's future. (laughs) Now, it's fun to laugh, but the truth is sloth is listed as one of the seven deadly sins for a reason, right? And and I know what you're thinking. Being lazy might not make you the most productive member of society. It may not help you climb the ladder, but is it really deadly? I mean, has anybody died from taking too many naps? 
I mean, even Jesus took a nap in the boat, right? Man, I got to tell you, I love naps. I do. I love chicken wings, but I love naps too. Usually in that order. Just so everyone knows when I leave here, I'm going home and I'm taking a nap. That's my Sunday thing to do. I probably don't know. Maybe. We'll see. That's up to Trish. We had wings for dinner last night, so probably not. <laughs> now, I'm not exactly what you would call narcoleptic. I just love to sleep. I just have a deep passion and appreciation for horizontal meditation. I'm one of those guys that has to leave the lights on in a room where my brain starts to tell me that it's time for a nap. Who likes to watch TV with the lights out? Some of you. I can't do that. You turn the lights out, I'm out. That's why my family hates going to the movies with me, because apparently I'm not a quiet sleeper either. <laughs> now, the word sloth is a translation of the Latin term acedia, which means without care. So sloth, or acedia by definition, is not just about being lazy, but it's not caring enough to do the right thing. So sloth is not really a sin of commission. It's rather a sin of omission. You following me? In fact, sloth is the ultimate sin of omission because sloth sits still, unmoved by anything real. Sleeping through a movie may not be deadly, but if the theater is burning down around you and you're sitting on your hands, well, that's a different story. And it might seem counterintuitive in this culture that we live in, because we don't really see ourselves as a slothful culture, do we? Because we are the most hyperactive people there are in all the world. We go to the gym, we take our kids to soccer practice, dance lessons, we work jobs, some of us multiple jobs. We just go and go and go. In today's world, it seems to be fueled by nonstop busyness of our lives. It's hard to see us as a couch potato society. Because you see, sloth isn't just about being lazy. And it can be. We can also become consumed by busyness. And if we aren't investing in the right things and things that are important and things that have purpose, then we can fall into the trappings of sloth as well. Sloth is sneaky in the way that it attacks us, and we mistake busyness for productivity. Sloth thrives in busyness. Why are we busy? This chronic pursuit of worldly pleasures breeds compounded boredom. Boredom with people. Boredom with our jobs. Boredom with our families. Boredom with God. Boredom with life. You might be living a life that is busy, but it's filled with haze. It's cloudy. And what's interesting is how our culture today tries to warn us of this kind of behavior. It tells us that we've got to slow down. We need a break. They coined a phrase uh, a few decades back called workaholics. That came from right here in Louisville, if you didn't know that. Um, what was that guy's name, Rachel? I'll get back to you on that. He, he was, he, was, he was right here in Louisville. He used to teach over here at the Baptist Seminary, uh, Southern. Anyway, it escapes my mind. We were workaholics. We're told to take our Sabbath. And this is important, is it not? We, we do need 
to sometimes slow down our lives. We need to stop and breathe and center on God's presence. This is why the psalmist tells us to be still and know that I am God. There is a real danger because we do just go and go and go. We need this message of Sabbath. Even Jesus rested. I get it. But understand that there are extremes. And just like with anything else, these extremes can get us in trouble. We have to be careful that we're not overcorrecting our behaviors. And technology just feeds into this, doesn't it? With this modern world of semiconductors and satellites and microwaves and Teslas and other forms of automation, sloth is constantly being marketed to us. We don't even realize it. The commercial world wants to sell us products that no longer require us to do stuff. They want to sell us things that do things for us. And we buy it up. Why? Because we want anything and everything that will save us time. As if saving time is the greater good. I'm not so sure that it is. Because what happens when we free up our time? We waste it. We, we fill it with something else. Are we using that free time to further the kingdom? Are we using that free time to become more productive members of society? If the last 20 years are any indication, then I say the answer is probably no. We just find more things to fill our time with. But what are we filling it with? More distractions. I love this artist's rendering. I sent this to Rachel last night. I came across this on the Google. I love this artist's rendering of how there is an app that connects us directly to every one of the deadly sins. Can you see it? Lust is the Tinder app. Gluttony is the Yelp app. Greed is a LinkedIn app. Sloth, what we're talking about today, they have Netflix for. Wrath is Twitter. I mean, that's dead on. <laughs> Facebook is Envy, right? Instagram is Pride, the selfie stick. Look at me. I'm sorry, I don't know why that's popping. Is that my beard or my hair? The truth is, we all daydream. We all procrastinate. We spend hours a day scrolling through nonsense on our phones. And we binge watch TV on Netflix or Hulu or Prime or whatever. We start things that we don't finish and we neglect God and we neglect God's people. This time that we are living in now has more distractions than any other era leading up to this point in history. And the thing that you carry around in your pocket or your purse, your phone, your smartphone, this is the absolute distraction. We have gone from being a consumer of the information that our phone can provide for us to being consumed by our phones. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 to not be a slave to anything. We have become a society that is enslaved by our devices. Don't believe me? Leave your phone at home. Forget to take your phone to work one day. How far will you drive before you're willing to, turn, to, to keep going or turn around? You start asking yourself, can I really do without my phone for eight hours? I'm turning around. Is it two miles, five miles, ten miles? 
Now, the Old Testament has a biblical word for sloth. Equivalent uses sluggard. We find this primarily in the book of Proverbs. Now, just on a side note, if you're new to reading the Bible and you're looking for a place to start, the Gospel of John is always a good recommendation. That's probably the, that's probably the top choice. But I've got to tell you, the book of Proverbs is a close second. And it amazes me, it never ceases to amaze me, how the wisdom in this book is timeless. It's just so, so applicable to today. Now, the word slugger is in the book of Proverbs 14 times. So clearly it was important. But I'm just going to read one of these from Proverbs 24. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. He had a rope tied to his girl's swing set. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Fourteen times the word sloth appears in Proverbs. And what the writer of Proverbs is referring to here is much more than our understanding of sloth as just being lazy. The word is contrasted with uprightness. The word that is used in the Old Testament that contrasts, thank you, the sluggard term is, is known, is defined as upright and righteous. The virtue that is contrast to the vice, because the, the, the church has defined the seven vices, but for every seven vice there is a virtue. The virtue that is connected to the vice known as sloth is the word diligence. Okay? Now, we're familiar with this term. We probably do use this daily. Constant and earnest effort. But check this out. The word diligence is rooted in the Latin word diligentia, which means this, to value highly, to esteem, to prize, to love. See, diligence implies that, that there is a passion or a fervor for life. Passion, the word itself, passion, means to suffer for to love something so much that you would be willing to suffer for it. That's why we call it the passion of the Christ. Because Jesus loved us, loved us so much that he was willing to suffer and die on the cross. When was the last time you felt a passion for something that you were willing to suffer and die for? See, a slothful person in the Old Testament is not just a lazy person. But is considered irresponsible, unrighteous undependable. This person becomes a burden to his family, his community, his church. And the result of slothfulness isn't just being lazy or being unproductive, but it leads to personal ruin. Sloth is a slow killer of the soul. It's like high blood pressure. High blood pressure is a slow and silent killer of the physical body. Sloth is a slow and silent killer of the soul. Sloth has also been closely connected with self-pity, which is not what you really think about when you think about sloth, is it? Thomas Aquinas says this about sloth. He says it's a sorrow about spiritual good and as sluggishness of the mind, which neglects to begin good, 
and so oppresses man as to draw him away from good deeds. It goes as far as to refuse the joy that comes from God and to be repelled by divine goodness. Everything is done with reluctance. No joy in doing God's will. Living a spiritual life becomes a burden, and soon we begin to give up on the necessary tasks that lead us into a virtuous life. This is not the design, folks. This kind of lifestyle is devoid of love for God and love for neighbor. And in the end, it focuses simply on the self. Christian author Dor Dorothy Sayers says this about sloth. It is a sin that believes in nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. In some extreme cases, sloth can lead to physical and mental health issues. I've experienced this firsthand. A few years ago, I started to experience something strange. Now, I'll admit to you, I'm not exactly what you would call a go-getter. <laughs> Thanks, Jimmy. I've always, stayed way, I've always stayed up way too late and slept until the absolute last minute before I rolled out of bed. The snooze button is my friend. Who are my snooze button people in here? The snooze button. Probably the worst invention known to man. Tool of procrastination. And in theory, it should work like this. You set your alarm a few minutes earlier than you plan to arise. That allows the snooze button to slowly wake you into a state of consciousness into this bright and beautiful day. If that's you, God bless you. You're what they call a morning person. For me, the snooze button works like this. I set it 30 minutes before I need to get up because I know what's coming. <laughs> then when my alarm actually hits the time to get up, my brain starts to do something called rationalization. I can actually do math in this state of semi-consciousness. How much time do I actually need to get ready to be where I'm supposed to be at the time I'm supposed to be there? I start calculating things like travel time, showering time, ironing time, sometimes. Okay. Got to look good, man. Getting dressed, getting coffee, feeding the dog, and here recently I've even added the task of grooming my beard. I've gotten good at allowing my sleep pattern to extend into the last possible minute. Now, I'm not proud of any of this. I'm not suggesting that this is a healthy way to wake up because it's certainly not. In fact, it's probably the worst way to wake up that there is. But I've done this most of my life. But a few years ago, something, something started happening. Things started to get dramatically and exponentially worse. Now, I work from home a lot. This was even before COVID. My job allows me the luxury of working from home. And for whatever reason, all of a sudden, getting out of bed at all just became one of the biggest obstacles in my life. I literally felt like I was connected to the mattress. Unless you've experienced this, I don't know that I can ever explain this in a way that you will understand it. I felt like there was a 200-pound weight on top of me, and I could not move. I hit the snooze button, but it wasn't for 30 minutes. 
30 minutes turned into 45, which turned into an hour. And I'm not exaggerating, sometimes two hours. I wasn't making it into work on time. I wasn't even close. And it was beyond my control. I couldn't roll out of bed. And I, and I don't know how else to explain this. I could go to bed early, but it didn't matter. It didn't help. Starting the day just simply became one of the most difficult things for me to do. Then I started to become ashamed because I, I felt unproductive and, and, I, and I felt like a thief because I was. I was stealing time. I was stealing time from my employer. And I, and I came clean and talked to my, boss, my supervisor about it and explained the, the, the things that I was struggling with. But shame really started to set in and, and I just didn't feel like that there was anybody that I could talk to to figure out how to address this. Maybe it was something biological, I don't know. I was getting older, maybe going through some kind of change in life. I started seeking help from the family doctor, even saw a counselor. The counselor asked me, she said, do you struggle getting out of bed at church, for church on Sunday? And I thought, and I was like, no, I don't have any problem getting out of bed on Sunday morning. I have to get up at 5, 5.30 just so I can be here in time to take care of all the stuff that I need to to get ready for worship. That doesn't come to any problem at all for me. So then I started thinking, well, it must be my job. Something's going on with my job. I mean, it, suddenly I felt maybe like I was losing purpose in my vocation. Things were changing with the company. I began to feel undervalued. Who Who knows? But I use that as, 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 a, as an argument or as a reason to change jobs. So I did that. And I went to a different job. I left a company that I'd been with for 15 years because I had to try to find a way out. But the problem just followed me. And looking back, I, I, was, I was experiencing signs of depression. The problem is I'm not sure if the depression was causing this lack of motivation or if my shame was causing the depression. It was a classic chicken or egg scenario. Now, clinical psychologist Dr. William Backus argues that for many of us, we're getting medicated for depression when what we might be experiencing is a long-term effects of sloth. He says this, depression involves aversion to effort, and the moral danger of sloth lies in this characteristic. The work involved in exercising one's will to make moral and spiritual decisions seems particularly undesirable and demanding. Thus, the slothful person drifts along in habits of sin, convinced that he has no willpower and aided in this claim by those who persist in seeking only biological and environmental causes and medical remedies for sloth. So what he's basically saying is you, people may be getting diagnosed for depression and treated as such, and what it may be is just symptoms of, of long-term sloth. You following me? Now, now I, want, I want to be clear here. I, I really need to make this clarification. I don't want you to misquote me. I'm not saying that depression is caused solely by sloth. Depression is a very complicated matter, and I think we understand this. It's a real thing. It's a real condition. It can be dangerous, and it needs to be taken seriously. It can be caused by a multitude of things ranging from grief to something biological. And if you struggle with depression, please take it seriously and seek help. There's a lot of things that leads to the symptoms of depression. Sloth just happens to be one of them. Remember, there is no shame in seeking help. But as I stated earlier, sloth can lead to self-pity 
and self-pity can lead to depression. It's a condition that we can fall into completely unaware, and before we know it, we're in it. Some of us are just wired in a way that makes us more inclined to fall into these traps. So if anything about my story rings a bell with you, we should probably chat. There's ways out, but you have to take control. The thing that worked for me finally is I got some help from my, my friend, my neighbor. His name was Alan. And we had always talked about getting up and going to the gym. We never did. You know, you know how that is. And I finally told him, I, I said, here's what I'm dealing with. I need a reason to get out of bed. And I need accountability when I can't. So he did. And we started getting up this Labor Day. We started getting up and we started going to the gym. And this went on until COVID happened. And then all the gyms shut down. By then, the pattern had been broken. Now, I, I won't lie to you and tell you that I still don't have to really be careful because I can easily fall back into those patterns. I still have to give myself structure, and I have to be intentional about pursuing the things that are good and productive and, and try to not be consumed by the things that want to keep me down. Sloth is apathy towards God, and that is what makes it deadly. It is not a sin of commission against somebody else. It's a sin of omission against God. We see the goodness of God, and we have no response for it. Not because God's goodness isn't worth noting. It's not like it's something that's mediocre and can be overlooked. But we live instead with, the, with a craving for the next comfort that we seek, completely blind to the fact that the one who really satisfies is right in front of us. And over time, the soul grows more numb and more numb. Many refer to sloth as the gateway to the other sins because the numbness it creates moves us toward anything that will make us feel something. Sloth is a craving for personal comfort at all costs, and the cost is high because it costs you your joy in God, and it blinds you to how you were designed to live. Serving and loving. Sloth will cost you your love for the local church, and it will dull you with endless amusements. Sloth will blind you to the need that you have for Christ, and worth, worth, worse of all, sloth will close your eyes to the beauty that is Jesus. I read it earlier, Thomas Aquinas said this, Sloth leads us to be repelled by the divine good. Kind of like spiritual narcolepsy. One scholar describes sloth as something that feels so comfortable and imperceptible, he compared it to falling asleep. Now, usually falling asleep is a pleasant experience, right? Unless you're not supposed to be asleep. Unless you're supposed to be awake, like when you're driving, when you're operating heavy machinery, or when you're at work. Have you ever had the helpless feeling that you weren't in control of whether or not you could stay awake? Some of you are having it right now. <laughs> we get so comfortable in our lives, so comfortable in our faith that we don't even realize that we are sleeping behind the wheel and we're driving right toward a cliff. 
It's so easy to fall asleep in the dark. We need a wake-up call. Paul tells us in the text that we read earlier that we are children of light. We need to live as children of light. We need to live into what Christ has called us to be. Now, what does this mean exactly? Well, like Yogi Berra says, if I didn't wake up, I'd still be sleeping. <laughs> Take that nugget of wisdom home with you. we got to wake up. Now, maybe this means for, for some of us seeking help to literally get out of bed. Find a reason that motivates you and stick with it. Maybe it's the gym. Maybe it's walking the dog. Maybe it's scheduling that quiet time with God, whatever it is. And if you can't do it on your own, you got to ask for help. Some other things that helped me, and these are just suggestions. If you have a choice between working from home and going to the office, go to the office. Or at least find some balance. If you have a choice between watching church at home or attending church in community, we sure love to see you come. We are not meant to live in isolation. And I'm sorry, but Facebook Live and Zoom meetings is not an adequate substitute. We are made to be in community. Another thing that you can do is work hard to change your sleep patterns and understand that it takes time to make these adjustments. Start gradually. Maybe set your alarm five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes sooner until you finally start to get closer and closer to the goal. And I know this is going to be unpopular, but listen, binge watching television is a form of addiction. If you cannot stop watching a program, if you can't turn it off and go to bed because you are so interested in what's coming next, by the way, that's how they design these things. They call them cliffhangers for a reason. You can't turn off the TV and go to bed. That's addiction. It's, it's the same chemical response in our brain that somebody that can't stop drinking or can't stop using drugs. If it's keeping you up late at night, it's a contributing factor. I've also found that getting up and just taking a shower right out of bed, just, it just really helps to start my day. I know that seems like common sense. But when, you, when you're stuck in the funk, you don't want to do anything. You got to make yourself do things like clean up. It makes a difference. And I say it again, and I can't overstate this, ask for help. We've got to get past this mindset that asking for help is a sign of weakness, especially us men. In some cases, asking for help very well may save your life. It may save your job, it may save your marriage, but it very well may save your life. I'm here, Rachel's here, Somewhere. Micah's here. We got CR every Wednesday night. Every Wednesday, no exception. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but we started CR in 2016. And every Wednesday since, we have had it. We've had it on Christmas Eve. We've had it on Christmas Day. We've had it on New Year's Day. We've had it on my birthday. <laughs> we don't cancel it for any reason because we know that there is a possibility that somebody needs to come. So don't take that luxury for granted. Maybe for some of us, waking up means cutting some things out of our lives, making time for God. And I'm not talking about just busy work. I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one communion with the divine. But for all of us, and I believe this with all my being, it means that we need to be in prayer 
for ourselves and for one another, that God keeps us awake. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when he was in the garden? He said, pray that you won't fall into temptation. Pray that you don't fall asleep. We need to pray that God helps to show us the beauty of his creation, the beauty of his grace that comes in Christ Jesus, while understanding that most of this is on us. You've heard the saying that if God feels distant, God isn't the one who moved. God wants us to have a full and abundant life, not life that we sleepwalk through. Now, in the scripture that we read this morning, Paul is addressing the church in Ephesus. And he's helping them to understand that their lives in Christ Jesus have become new. And how they need to recognize the truth and to live in the light. Paul recognized that we have the tendency never, or we have this tendency to revert back to the ways of darkness. That's why he said, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. We have a tendency to fall asleep when the lights go out. Instead of remembering that we are children of light. And that we don't have to waller in the dark. We don't have to waller in the darkness of self-pity, the darkness of self-isolation, the darkness of self-fulfillment that can truly never be satisfied. We don't have to waller in the darkness that is sloth. But instead, we are to illuminate. Jesus said that we are the light of the world. We are meant to be seen. We are meant to shine. The words offered in verse 14 in the text that we read is strong. Paul isn't telling his readers simply to awaken from their sleep. He's telling them to awaken and arise from the dead. Our spiritual sleepwalking is detrimental. We become like the walking dead. We become dead to all goodness. Our numbness makes us dead and desensitized to this fullness of life that God wants for us. And we were meant to walk in this fullness of life. To look around you. Ask yourself this question. Do I stand out? Do folks see the light in me? Can they see Jesus in me? Or you are set apart. You're meant to be different. You're holy. You should shine. And if you don't, then you very well might be asleep. Christ calls us to a better life, to be a new creation. Jesus says, believe in the light that you may become children of light. It's in John's gospel. So hear the word of God this morning, people. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we realize that there are times in our lives when we have allowed a spirit of slumber to overtake us. We have faltered or failed in our Christian journey. But God, I pray that we would awaken from any complacent state, allow us to walk in newness of life, and live in the light of Christ's lovely presence. We pray that we would press on for the higher call we have in Christ Jesus and produce the fruit of goodness, righteousness, and truth. Help us to honor your holy name by the life we live and the attitudes of our heart. Thank you for the many privileges we enjoy as your children. And we pray that we would fulfill the responsibilities we have to live according to your word and to walk in the light. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.